everyone. Welcome to another episode of Eyes on Earth. This is a podcast that focuses on our ever-changing planet and on the people here at Eros and across the globe who use remote sensing to monitor and study the health of Earth. My name is Tom Adamson, your host for this episode, where we're talking about the 20th anniversary of something called the International Charter. Our guest is Mike Buddy, the USGS liaison to the International Charter. So, Mike, I first have to clarify what we call this thing. I believe the formal name of the organization is the International Charter Space and Major Disasters. But is there kind of a shorthand that we can use? Yeah, essentially what you used there, you know, that is the formal name, but often referred to as just the International Charter or the Charter. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. So, in a nutshell, tell us what's the basic idea? How does the Charter work? Charter's made up of 17 member agencies and what they do is essentially provide free of cost satellite imagery for national disaster management agencies to deal with disaster monitoring. What kind of disasters are we talking about then? Well, they can be either natural disasters or man-made. So man-made disasters, things like oil spills or industrial accidents. Uh, we've had each of those recently with the industrial accident in Lebanon and the oil spill off the coast of Mauritius. But natural disasters by far are the most common. And of the natural disasters, floods are certainly the, the most common. But floods, earthquakes, volcanic eruptions, fires... All of these are, are natural disasters that the Charter responds to. And you mentioned 17 members of the Charter. Where are these members from? Well, all over the world, actually. There are two members from the U.S., USGS and NOAA, uh, National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, is a member as well. And then there's members in Brazil, Europe, many parts of Europe, actually, Russia, China, Japan, Korea. So really, uh, across the globe, there's member states. So they're providing this data at no cost for the charter to use. How does the charter get the data to where it needs to go? We have kind of an operational system in place. So the way it functions is there's a request for support that can come from a national disaster management agency, many different sources. In the U.S., that typically would come from FEMA or the National Guard. And how that works then is we have what are called authorized users. I function in that role for the U.S. I would initiate the activation into our system, which would then spawn off a number of actions where the request is evaluated. And then there's a number of other roles that need to be filled. So there's a project manager, which really orchestrates the activation from its beginning. That person works both with the person who requested, so we're Works with the authorized user as well as the end users, so the National Emergency Management Agency that would actually be using the data on the ground. It's quite a process, but one that we've automated to a great degree, so it's, it's really improved our ability to respond. What if the activation is in a location where the infrastructure might have been damaged or something like that in the disaster? Yeah, that's kind of a tough question. Obviously, you never you never know what the outcome of a disaster is going to be in terms of, you know, infrastructure and that type of thing. But that's really one of the things that the charter provides is input to people on the ground who are managing the disaster on things such as bridges that are no longer accessible or roads that are no longer accessible. You're getting at the issue of getting the information to the people who need it. Typically, right. there's going to be some infrastructure in place for 
a management disaster management agency to receive the information from the charter. I don't know that I've ever heard of or certainly experienced a situation where there was no communication available to provide the data. Yeah, you know, part of this is, for example, I went to the charter website and looked at a recent activation for a flood in Sudan. Okay. There, there's just a dizzying amount of data available for that activation in particular. It said 261 acquisitions. Yeah. Is, is that normal? At this time, it is. We we really do acquire quite a large volume of data for activations. In fact, we have some that have acquired many more than that, even. The fires in Australia, there was a dizzying amount of, of oh. data acquired sure. for those for that event. And that really comes down to, so that comes down to something that is important for the project manager to be able to deal with is sorting through all of those data and making sure that the most useful data is being made available to address the issues at hand. So we've really done a lot in terms of our automated system that houses those data and allows the user to sort through and filter data sets so they can get to what they need the most. The charter provides at least some way to make it easier for the user to get at what they need. Yeah. Yeah. So we have what's called cost two. It's a charter operational system. Once an activation is started, all those people involved in working on it have access to this system and are able to view data coming in and view products that are generated by uh, what are called value-added providers. So we oftentimes will partner with specific groups that analyze data and generate the informational products. Providing the data is one thing, but getting actionable information in the hands of the people who need it is, is a big goal. So the charter has been around for 20 years now. Do you know if there's someone who sort of got the idea started back in the year 2000? Yes. In 1999, following a Unispace conference, there were discussions between the European Space Agency and the French Space Agency, CNES. Uh, and they are really the two that initiated the charter from the beginning. And they were soon joined by the Canadian Space Agency. So in 2000, the charter was deemed operational. And since that time, as I said, a number of other 14 more members have joined, including the USGS joining in 2005. So the USGS got involved in 2005. How did Eros come to be a part of it then? Even prior to our involvement in 2005, we had a role during the tsunami in Indonesia in 2004. Brenda Jones, a former employee at USGS, is really instrumental in Eros's involvement in the charter and holds a somewhat legendary status among its members. She uh, was very active at the beginning, and she did some organization in support of that tsunami in Indonesia in December of 2004, where Landsat data was used to show the impacts before and after the tsunami event. And it was shortly after that, the USGS became a official member of the charter. I think we'll continue to respond to more and more disasters because they're becoming somewhat commonplace and happening more frequently. Certainly a lot of the data that we use is optical data. For example, Landsat, you can see what's going on on the ground before and after. Like you mentioned, um, Landsat is really good at providing that kind of data. I'll bet we have a lot more than just optical data, though, as part of the charter that they need to use. Yeah, typically optical data um, is used for assessing, you know, damage assessments after a storm is moved through, for instance, or, you know, fires. But oftentimes in both fires and storms such as hurricanes or typhoons, you have atmospheric issues to deal with. So clouds in the case of hurricanes and smoke in the 
case of fires. So synthetic aperture radar data is a big part of the assets that the charter provides. And we have several members and countries that provide radar data to the charter. It's often used, you know, at the beginning of an event such as a hurricane because of its ability to see through clouds. So we often do a combination of uh, requests for radar data initially, and then oftentimes optical data after the fact to assess damage. Well, there, there's a lot of different kinds of data out there. So it's interesting that it all can come together to help out with these with these events. Yeah, and we, we have data available at many different scales. So you mentioned Landsat, 30-meter mm-hmm. resolution, but then we have optical sources that provide data at sub-meter resolution as well. So okay. we can really get down to doing mapping of individual structures that are damaged. Okay, they all complement one another. Yeah, exactly. The data is provided at no cost from all these organizations, but there must be some funding needed. How is the charter funded? The data being provided free of cost is an important aspect for sure. The operations that go on behind the charter do require some funding. That's usually done at the agency level through different sources. In terms of the USGS, the National Land Imaging Program sponsors the cost of operations and my liaison activities for the charter. There's different levels of involvement as well. So there's some agencies uh, and members that devote a much larger portion of their time to the charter than others. It's really thought of as a best effort initiative, and we, we do our best to support the charter with the amount of time that we've devoted to it. What has changed the most in the last 20 years? The obvious thing that's changed is a lot of things that used to be done by email or telephone call is is automated within that operational system. So, you know, we're constantly upgrading that cost two system to make management of the activation easier and more streamlined. I imagine computer processing has just gotten faster over time. It has, and yeah, we've we learned things more efficient ways of doing things along the way. So that's been big improvements in in our operational side. One thing that we are doing is working on having processing platforms as part of our operational system. So what would happen there is uh, users could actually come to that system and there would be a platform to interact with the data and be able to actually generate value-added products such as flood inundation maps and damage assessment. Okay, more than just satellite or remote sensing data, but some derived maps based on the data. That sounds really helpful. Yeah, exactly. So we we currently do that through what I referred to earlier as value-added providers, and that what they have to do is download the data to their local systems and analyze it there. Uh, What this would do is allow users to come into the one system where the data is already housed and analyze it and generate products on one of these platforms. Did you say that's something that's coming soon or something that yeah, they can do right now? It's, it's, it'll be an enhancement to our operational system in the near future. We've been talking to Mike Buddy, the USGS liaison to the International Charter, about how the Charter has been helping people recover from disasters for the last 20 years. We hope you come back for the next episode of Eyes on Earth. This podcast is a product of the U.S. Geological Survey, Department of the Interior. Thanks for joining us.